I want to begin uh, by asking you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 8, and we're going to, Lord willing, not only continue but complete this chapter tonight. As you can see below me, the theme of this chapter is the grace of giving. And as I've been consistently mentioning, we are talking about financial giving in this chapter. Uh, but there's a, an even broader lesson, and that is getting involved, giving of yourself. And I've shown you the verse a few times back in verse 5 in this chapter, how the Macedonians, they first gave themselves to God, and then also they volunteered there to, uh, to, to the apostles, to the leaders of the church. They gave themselves, and then the money was a, a secondary thought. Same thing that we want to emphasize. It, there is something to learn about our money in this chapter and being generous and giving, but at the same time, getting involved just in general. So we're going to talk more about that tonight. I wanted to also be careful to thank everybody. I have received um, some really good input about the starting of our small group meetings this coming Thursday. And just let me remind you, Thursday from 6 to 7 p.m., we have our meetings in Meter Park, Bailey Park, and my side of town, Fondaroff Park. I understand it that I actually say in Old Bailey Park, and then Garrett is in New Bailey Park. But however you want to divide that, we have those three different locations. Students, any of you students that are watching or maybe listen to this later on, um, we, we were going to have a separate group for you, but I really think it would benefit the students to be able to fall in with the mix of people that are going to be at this uh, at these small groups. So please feel free to choose one of those three locations that we've uh, designated. But several people have offered me, uh, shared their experiences with me. Uh, they've been in these small groups before, cell groups, and they've been able to tell me some things that worked, some things that didn't work. They've shared some concerns. And I want you to know I really do appreciate all that input. Um, we can't obviously try everything that uh, has has been offered to us in advice but we will we will keep it in the back of our minds we will see as time goes on how things develop what we can use and what's going to work for us but i really do appreciate everybody getting involved and i'm looking forward to how god can use this for our church uh, we're going to begin in second corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 13 and you see them on the screen next to me and tonight we are um going to focus on this question. You can see this isn't one of our church members, but I think he properly represents how a lot of people feel whenever we begin to talk about giving. They are concerned about giving. Uh, we're going to address some of, those, the, some of those concerns. I believe that in the end of this chapter, Paul does that. And uh, so we're going to talk about a couple of those tonight. Let's begin with a word of prayer. If you would, bow your heads with me and let's ask God to help us with this lesson. Father, we pray now that you would, um, as we've opened our Bibles, that you would open our hearts. And Lord, you said that the seed needs to fall on good ground. So I pray that you would uh, remove the thorns and the distractions of our day and of our lives. Let us focus in on what you have to say to us in your word here tonight. And we pray that you'd uh, let this be a profitable time, something that brings forth fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 13. Verses 13 down to 15 is going to address, I believe, the first concern about giving, at least the first concern that is addressed in this passage, and that is the concern about equality. We'll, of course, unpack that as we go. And then the second half of our lesson tonight, verses 16 down to the end of the chapter, uh, there's actually two concerns that are addressed in, the, in that passage. And it's intermingled. It goes back and forth. The topic of inquiry and the topic of evidence. And those two things work together. I believe that the local church and we as individuals should invite or, or create, let's say create an atmosphere that invites honesty. We, we should not mind people asking us, uh, where were you? Why did this happen? Why did you say this? How did you use this or that resource? If we used it properly, then we shouldn't be afraid of inquiry. We shouldn't be ashamed or afraid to provide evidence. And uh, you'll see, I believe tonight, how Paul was not ashamed or afraid of these type of inquiry, inquiries and, and questions. Even Jesus, during his ministry, many times the apostles asked for clarification. Why this? Why that? And now sometimes the apostles 
their questions was, were coming from a place of doubt or maybe they had forgotten what the Lord had already told them and, and the Lord sometimes had to rebuke them for their lack of faith. Uh, but then there were other times, many times, where they said, Jesus, you've said this. We don't really understand what that means. Please explain it further. And uh, Jesus would be very forthright with his answers and say, listen, here's how it works. Sometimes he would say, I, I don't think you can understand it now, but I'll tell you later. And Jesus was very open and honest with his disciples about that. Uh, at one point, right, they asked Jesus when he was on trial, tell us what you've said. Have you said anything in darkness and anything privately? Are, are you spreading some secret knowledge that no one else had? And Jesus said, everything I've taught I, I have said publicly. Now, Jesus, of course, did. There were some private conversations he had with his apostles, but the things that he discussed were things that he also talked about publicly. There was nothing that he had to hide. So those are the two things we're going to look at. We're going to look at the equality and then the inquiries and evidence, those two sides of it. So let me, just for the sake of continuity, let me put this one up. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 13, we'll begin talking about equality. Paul says here, For I mean not that other men be eased and ye be burdened. He said, guys, I'm, I'm not asking you to get this offering together and give this financial gift. I'm not saying this so that other people can have the easy life and, and we'll just um, take all the money, put all the burden of, of, their, of the finances on you. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to cheat you and abuse your kindness so that other people become lazy. Verse 14, but by an equality, and here's where things are going to balance out, that now at this time, and I think that's a key phrase. If you got your Bible pen or if you're making notes in, in a notebook, I would, I would make notice of that verse at this time. See, right at that particular moment, the Corinthians uh, had an abundance of resources and they were able to get involved uh, through financially supporting these poor saints in Jerusalem. But there might be another time where you don't have those resources, right? And that's what Paul's gonna point out. That now at this time, your abundance may be a supply for their want. Now we would say for their lack, that's just old English there. That their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. So that's where I think the phrase at this time, right now you have an abundance. But maybe later on, they might have an abundance and you'll, you'll be lacking. So don't worry. If you're a little concerned about giving, say, but if I, why should I be the one that has to constantly do this? Why can't they get involved? We would expect them to. We would expect them to. Paul is trying to say to the Corinthians, guys, this is not as if every time we need money, we're going to turn to you. It's just the way things are working out right now. You have something that they need. Now, if this switches around, there's going to be an equality. We will expect them to use the abundance of whatever their resource is to minister to your needs. Now, you can see, I believe Paul is talking directly about finances in verse 14, about wealth. However, we can broaden the scope a little bit here. Um, this, this issue of equality to to share the burden, everybody to pull his or her own weight. This applies to more than just giving, uh, financially giving. Let, let me explain. One man might have an abundance of time, right? He has spare time and therefore, if there are odds and ends, you know, smaller jobs, menial tasks that need to be done because a certain person has an abundance of time, he can pitch in there. Whereas a guy who doesn't have a lot of time, say he has a job that keeps him very busy, then he might, because he doesn't have, he has a job, doesn't have time, but he has money. So he might be able to buy the tools that the guy with time, he can use those tools to get a different job done. You might have another guy that uh, is a bit advanced in age and therefore he lacks the energy to actually get up and go to every location that needs to be visited and talk to people. However, he has an abundance of wisdom, not only through personal effort of study and reading and paying attention and listening, but just basic life experience. And he knows through experience how God can work in a person's life. 
Do you see how he can share the abundance of his wisdom and knowledge with those, uh, let's say a younger crowd that has an abundance of energy and they can take that knowledge, wisdom, that information and carry it farther down the road than that older Ua Mertani, right? That, that uncle or auntie that may not have the abundance of energy that they once had. Do you see how it balances out? And this is what we see in the body of Christ. God, I believe, did this on purpose. There is not supposed to be any one member within the body of Christ that is expected to do it all. Now, here's the concern. And I, I know I have felt this, and I've had people come to me and express this precise concern, and I understand it. The concern is, Pastor, there are a few of us in the church that are, we're pulling all the weight, right? There's a minority of us doing all the work. And then there, there's a majority, however big or small that majority is, but there's, there's more people that are not doing anything. They just come to church, occupy a seat, go home, and that's it. They're not pulling their weight. And what happens is the ones that are bearing the burden of, of handling everything, that, that burden can get quite heavy. That cross that they're carrying can get quite heavy, and it gets frustrating. And they get concerned, why would I want to keep giving if this isn't going to balance out? That's a legitimate concern. My advice to you is this, you're only responsible to do as much as you can do. The fact that other people don't pull their weight, I get it, that's frustrating. And you're gonna have to allow God to work on those people's hearts. We, and, and I say we, it's not as if I've always pulled my weight, but I'm, those that are pulling their weight, right? You have to be patient with those that aren't because, because, there's most likely a time in your life that you didn't pull your weight. And wouldn't you want somebody to be patient and gently remind you, hey, can you please pitch in? There needs to be an equality. Um, I'm sure that plenty of people at one point or another have felt like Epaphroditus. Do you remember that name? Brother Francois, he taught uh, the book of Philippians to us. Let me just remind you quickly. Uh, Philippians 2 there at the end there was a man named Epaphroditus and just look at verse number 30 because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me now understand the Philippians hadn't done anything wrong they 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 wanted to help Paul they just couldn't so he isn't saying this as a rebuke to them he's just saying Epaphroditus even though he was sick physically really not capable of doing what he did, he pushed it even further and risked his, you know, put his health on the line because at that particular moment, no one else could pull that weight. So he actually was taking on a bit more than he should have. And sometimes you're going to find yourself in that position. Uh, understand though, the way that God has set it up, right? We do expect everybody to pull their own weight. And sometimes when a little more is asked of you, when you have to do a little more than you think is fair, try to remember this, that there was a point where Christ carried his cross, right? And that cross got heavy. Now, listen, he had Simon to help him carry that physical piece of wood all the way up to Mount Calvary. He had help, you see? And, and listen, accept help. If you are feeling the, the pressure, the weight of that burden, and you feel tired because you're just pitching in so much, doing so much, and you think it's not fair, don't be afraid to express the need for help. Don't be afraid to say, listen, I'm, I'm getting a bit weary. But as Paul said in Galatians 6, be not weary in well-doing, for you shall reap in due season if you faint not. If you need help, ask for it. The body of Christ is set up so that it should operate with this equality. We expect people to be involved to that extent. Um, an illustration of this, I believe we find it at the end of John's gospel. In John 21, after Jesus is risen from the dead, you know, he had that men's prayer breakfast with the apostles and you know, said, come and dine. He chats with Peter, restores Peter into not only personal fellowship but into the ministry and immediately Peter's question was 
what is this guy going to do for you? And he points over at John. What's this guy going to do for you? And Jesus' response to Peter was, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. And I think that's a great answer to this. Peter, whatever John's doing for Christ, that's between John and Christ. Don't be so caught up in what everybody else is doing or not doing that it distracts you from what you can and should be doing for the Lord. You keep your focus on your walk with God. And I think that's good advice. That's a good illustration of how we should approach this matter of equality and what we expect from each other. I would ask you, though, to just look at your own involvement. Are you making it easier for those around you, or are you making it more difficult? Are you doing what you can with the resources, with the abundance that God has provided? Whatever that abundance might be, time, energy, wisdom, money, whatever it is. But make sure that you're pulling your weight. Now in 2 Corinthians 8, 15, Paul brings us back to the subject of money. As it is written, now he's going to use the Old Testament to illustrate his point. He that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. Now this goes back to Exodus 16, when the manna was falling every day, except the Sabbath, the Jews were commanded to go out and gather this manna. And then after they had gathered it, they would measure it. The measurement was an omer, O-M-E-R. You'll see it in a moment. They'd measure it with an omer. And, and that way, some people, they, I don't know if they just worked a little harder, if they got out to the field sooner, they had more time, maybe they were more zealous, but they had gathered more. And then others, again, I don't, I don't know if it's because they were lazy or if they just uh, were in the wrong spot and there wasn't as much manna to pick up, whatever the case after measuring it with the omer, everybody ends up with the same amount. Now, this is not anything that supports communism. Right? I, and I just want to make that clear. Uh, you're going to see in the book of Exodus just now, there were very unique circumstances around that situation. And we've talked about this recently. A couple Sundays ago, I preached from the book of Acts chapter 2. And we talked about how the early church divided their goods, and it was all done willingly. It was on a voluntary system. They were in control of their possessions. Um, they, they, didn't, they weren't forced to give anything up. That was of their own volition if they wanted to. But the, the principle that we learn here is that what God does provide, we are to be cautious about how we use that so that it, it, we understand that God is not providing all of this stuff just to make me fat, rich, lazy, right? God has provided, and if I get a little extra, I should take a look at that extra and say, what is the proper way to use this? That would be the principle that we're learning here. I want to take you back to Exodus chapter 16 because uh, I think there's a few really great lessons we can quickly learn from this passage. Exodus 16 verse 15, And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna. For they wist not what it was. Now, just while we have the chance, you can see in verse 14, the dew that lay was gone up in the face of the wilderness. They, there lay a small round thing. So they didn't, they'd never seen this before. And of course, that's where the term manna, which means what is it? Um, and then Moses explains, this is your food for the next 40 years, which God, notice that, which the Lord hath given you to eat. Verse 16, this is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, and omer for every man according to the number of your persons. How many people live in your household? Take ye every man for them which are in his tents. Verse 17. And the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. Verse 18. And when they did meet it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over. He that gathered little had no lack. Now that's what Paul quoted in 2 Corinthians 8. They gathered every man according to his eating, not according to this abundant prosperity type atmosphere that you hear about in the world and in a lot of churches these days, but to cover their necessary daily needs. In verse 19, Moses said, Let no man leave of it till the morning. Verse 20, Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left of it until the morning, 
and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was wroth with them. And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. When the sun waxed hot, it melted. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Verse 23, And he said unto them, This is that which the Lord hath said, Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. This is the weekly Sabbath day. Bake that, uh, bake that which ye will bake today, and seethe that ye will seethe, and that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. Now I've read these verses because there's a few points I think we can learn about how to use God's provision. What, you know, the, and in our circumstance, let me say the income, the, the money that God provides from you working. Some very good lessons for that in this. Let, let me point them out. Number one, don't work all week. Don't work all week. Verse 23, right? There's a Sabbath. He said, but that's the Old Testament. That's the Jews. I'm not asking you to keep the 6 p.m. Friday to 6 p.m. Saturday Sabbath, you know, seventh day Sabbath of the Jews. I'm asking you to learn from the principle of this law, and that is even God, after working six days, rested one day, and then, and then, right, you go on. There is, you need that time, you need that break. If, obviously, physically, you need that. Mentally, you need that. Spiritually, you need that. Your life should not be dedicated to your job. It should be dedicated to God. Now, that's not to say you can't work and you can't work hard. You should. But don't work all week. That's one lesson you learn from this. Here's another thing. Don't be wasteful. Verse 20. Don't be wasteful. They left of it until the morning and it bred worms and stank. They just left some of it laying around. If God has provided something, don't just leave it sitting there. Put it to use. Don't be wasteful. Um, I'll tell you another thing. Don't be lazy. Verse 21. They gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. There was a time you had to get up in the morning, go get the job done. You can't wait until the sun, until it's high noon and the sun's standing hot in the sky. It's good. Your opportunity is past. It'll melt. You can't be lazy. You have to be uh, diligent about this. So work hard. I'll tell you another thing we can learn from it. Uh, we in the, in the beginning of this passage, verses 15 and 16, God will provide. Right? Here's Israel walking through the wilderness. It's not like there are factories that they can go and get jobs at. There's not people, they can't do piecework, you know, gardening and stuff as they walk through the wilderness. God will provide. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That promise stands for us. God will provide. Now, he will provide, but you need to handle it properly. Let me show you another verse I think that works with this principle that Paul is trying to teach us in Corinthians. When God has supplied you and, and or supplied your needs, provided for you, and you have an abundance, right? That's the word that Paul used in 2 Corinthians 8. The idea of gathering, 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 and just keep heaping it on, heaping it on, and laying up treasures for yourself on earth. You got to be careful about that. Now, now I want to be balanced. I want there to be some equality. I want there to be balance in, in my statement. I'm not against saving for the future, and neither is the Bible. I don't. I, I can show you in the Gospels where Jesus, I believe, supported the idea of laying up for the future. Right? A savings account, that type of idea. You see it in the book of Proverbs. However, however, Jesus, when he says, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven, where moth and rust doth not corrupt, and thieves don't break through and steal. Again, there's a principle to this. It's good to think about the future, make a plan. Right? Nothing wrong with that. But as you're going to see here in Ecclesiastes 5, just read with me here verses 12 and 13. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much. But the abundance, there's that word, the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Right? Why? Money can't buy you sleep. 
but a good hard day's work, that'll help you sleep. Verse 13, there is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. It is possible that you have too much. Now, again, I'm, I'm not trying to not trying to suggest that we need this communistic attitude and we have to mete out everything we have and share it equally. You need to understand that Israel, right, with the manna, that was, that was a unique circumstance. We, I would even say in modern terms, we would think of this like a state of emergency, that type of time. And the early church also had that state of emergency atmosphere where they're under intense persecution. They're an extreme minority. They have to take care of each other. When you look further into Israel's history, right? When you look into the law deeper, you will see that they did not, they were not expected to continually meet all of their provision with an omer and share everything equally. They were, however, commanded under the law to be generous and take care of each other. So we, we need to recognize the extraordinary circumstance of Exodus 16. But there, there's a principle to this that must be applied, must be learned. If God has blessed you with something, right, you are allowed to enjoy it. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, it says precisely that. God giveth us richly all... Uh, let me get the verse just right for you here. All things to enjoy. Is that how it goes? I think that's how it's worded. Yeah, at the end of verse 17, 1 Timothy 6, 17, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Right? So nothing wrong with saving something up, having a plan for the future, and enjoying the resources you have, but there's more to it. God didn't give you those resources only for your pleasure. You can save up so much that you're, as some preachers have said, you're either going to give it to the doctors, to the lawyers, or to the Antichrist. <laughs> you, you might as well take a look at those resources and say, listen, I, I have enough for, the, for my future. I've planned for myself, my kids, my household. Nothing wrong with providing for that. The Bible commands you to. But sometimes you can save up so much, you make yourself a target for the world and for the devil. If you notice, he says, he giveth us richly all things to enjoy, but verse 18, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Do you see the balance in that? Don't feel bad that you have some resources, but don't forget that God doesn't give you the resources to make you fat and lazy. It's a strange thought, right, to think maybe I have too much. I think every one of us would do well to just every now and then sit down and take a long look at what we do have. So how much of this stuff is just sitting around in my life, taking up space where it could be, it could be uh, given to somebody or used by somebody else and, and really make a difference? Something to consider. You know, while I'm at it, can I show you another verse? I think this goes with it well. Um, Ephesians 4, verse number 28 here. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Why do you work your job? Well, as I've mentioned, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, you need to provide for your own, for those in your household, for your relatives. You, that's part of having a job to pay your bills, no doubt. But part of having a job, God allows you to have that job not only to pay your bills, but so that you have something to give to others. Just bear that in mind when it comes to your resources. All right, back to 2 Corinthians 8. And let's continue here in verse number 16. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 16. Now we're going to move from the issue of equality. And we're going to begin to talk about this these two things, inquiry and evidence. Inquiry and evidence. Paul says in verse 16, But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. Now, we've already been introduced to Titus in this chapter, also in the chapter before, way back in chapter 2. 
um, or one and two, I think. Titus has been mentioned. So Titus had been in Corinth, and then he brought word back to Paul as to how the Corinthians were doing, and now Paul is sending Titus back. And Paul is careful to point out that I'm sending Titus, I'm sending these other brothers, you can trust them. You know Titus. You know how much he cares. So if you're concerned, how is my money going to be used? If I, if I put together this huge offering and I give it to somebody, I want to make sure that the hands into which the offering is going are trustworthy hands. Now this, this harkens back, I think, to the book of Acts when they... When those early Christians sold their possessions, their lands, their houses, and laid it at the apostles' feet, those were men that they could trust. Those were men that had been walking with Christ. And it's the same thing here. Paul, he's going to send men to take this money. He wants the Corinthians to know who they're dealing with. Thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. Have you ever heard somebody talk like this? Maybe you've said it before. God put something on my heart. This is precisely what's happening in verse 16. You see where it says he put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus? That, that word into, it can also be translated on or onto. And really we're saying the same thing, whether you say in or on, it's, it's the same point. God put something on Titus's heart. Now, this is not to say that God overrode the will of Titus and made him care about something that previously he didn't care about. But if I were to come to you and start explaining how somebody else had this great need, right, and you could see how passionate I was and how much it meant to me, and if you and I have a relationship and you trust me, then what I'm explaining to you might touch your heart. And through my explanation of it, I have put something on your heart. Now, I believe that God can do much the same thing. Sometimes he can do it by a missionary or a preacher or a friend telling you, right? God can move that person to explain to you what's going on, and thereby God is putting that on your heart. Now, I can explain, I can speak to you. You hear what I'm saying, and it touches your heart. It moves you to compassion. I believe that the still, small voice of God can likewise whisper in your heart. Now see, this is still external. This is not God reaching in, flipping a switch, and now you automatically care. Just popped out of nowhere. I believe that God can begin to quietly speak to your heart and bring to your remembrance, this is important, this is important. That person needs help. And in so doing, God can put a particular person or situation on your heart. God did that for me, I believe. I, when I was a younger Christian, I watched a video of Dr. Ruckman teaching about 1,500 Indian pastors. And that is the first time I remember having a specific burden. Right? I had a burden for souls, but that was the first time that I had a burden for a specific place. Oh, I wanted to go to India so badly. And to be honest, that burden has never gone away. There's a part of me that, that yearns to minister to those pastors. And then as time went on, through, through other circumstances, God redirected my attention. And he put, I want to say the same type of burden, but even stronger, even clearer. Not, and it wasn't just a burden, but a calling. I wasn't only concerned, but I knew God was calling me to go to Malawi. And then, of course, things shifted again, and God uh, put, the, put a, a concern and a, and a care in my heart to come to, to, to Patras Thurum. and I hope that you experience the same thing. I hope you're paying attention to how God works on your heart. But, God, but thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. Thank God that somebody cared so much about these Corinthians. I'm so glad that God put it on somebody's heart to come knock on my door one day. What a blessing. And... Give me the gospel. Invite me to church. Verse 17, For indeed he accepted the exhortation. So Paul spoke to Titus and said, Titus, we're not done with the Corinthians. God wants to do something bigger. 
God has more for them. They're not perfected yet. They're not completed. And Titus, it's not as if Paul had to poke and prod him much. Titus, he accepted the exhortation. Here's Paul saying, come on, Titus, let's go get the job done. He says, 100%, Paul, I'm with you. Anything you need, I'd love to help those people. He says at the end of verse 17, but being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. So Titus was ready. This word forward, let me just flip over to this part. Of, eesh, sorry. Um, let me give it to you. I want you to see this Greek word for it. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce that. Um, but let me show you this meaning. I, I hope you can see the mouse moving. More prompt, more earnest, and you can translate it as more diligent or forward. Now that word diligent, diligent, we talked about that this morning in church. This is that energetic effort that you put in, this, this steady and energetic effort. Uh, that's, that's how we explain or understand Titus's attitude is he was more forward. He was diligent. He was on top of it. He was prepared, ready, and willing. Paul, I want to be a blessing to these people. And it appears that Titus, if I understand the passage correctly, he had even saved up so that he could go of his own accord. He didn't need anybody else to support him on this journey. Now listen, it's not... Ooh, sorry. Hit the stand there. Uh, it's not always going to be possible that you pay your own way. Sometimes you're going to need help from, from outside to make a journey, and that's fine. There's plenty of times in the Bible that that happens. But Titus, he was ready and willing to get the job done. How about you? Could you save up for a missions trip? Um, and, you know, not everybody's able to do that financially. But maybe you can just take a look at your resources and at the very least, take a look at your heart and your attitude and say, am I ready and willing that when the opportunity presents itself, I'm going to jump at it and I'll do what I can with what I have. Verse 18, and we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. All right, now verse 18, um, we don't know who this brother is. We have sent with him the brother. The way this is written kind of makes you think that the Corinthians would have been uh, acquainted with him. That's why Paul didn't even need to mention a name. They would have known who he was talking about. There's all sorts of guesses. Maybe it was Luke. Maybe it was Mark. Maybe it was Barnabas. And at the end of the day, Apollos. We're just going to have to settle with the fact that we're not sure who he's talking about. One thing we do know about him, his praise was in the gospel throughout all the churches. Now, this has been understood two different ways. The minority understanding of this is to actually capitalize the G, whose praise is in the gospel, and then they make it one of the written gospels. So this is where the idea that it's either Luke or Mark, uh, because those two you know, had some personal dealings and interactions with Paul. So they say that Luke, he wrote an amazing gospel. Mark, he wrote a great gospel. So, And they were being praised for their uh, this biographical work that they had done on the life and ministry, death, burial, resurrection of Christ. Um, I, I'm not, like I said, that's a minority understanding. Not very many people go with that. I understand where they're getting that from, but it appears to me that He's speaking rather when he says in the gospel, we're talking about in the preaching of the gospel or the gospel ministry. So whoever this brother was, he was well known throughout all the churches. So he had made his rounds. He had, he had been moving around quite a bit and a lot of people knew him, right? This is where the inquiry and evidence, you could go to any of these churches and ask, what, what kind of brother is this? Is he trustworthy? And this guy had been faithful to preaching the gospel, being involved in the gospel ministry. And therefore, you knew that if you hand this money over to a group that has him involved, uh, his testimony would make you feel more comfortable about handing over that offering. You know that he's in it for the right reasons. He's not going to abuse it, but use it for the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, 
can I just quickly say that if you want to earn the trust of people in a biblical church, one of the best ways to do that is to stay faithful in the gospel ministry. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to pitch up every Saturday morning for the church-organized you know, outreach program, but taking advantage of trying to reach lost souls anytime you can, whether that's at work or school or your free time, whatever it is, but you're excited, energetic, diligent about getting the gospel to the lost. That's the kind of brother that you can trust. Now, verse 19, he says, and not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace. So this brother, he had gone to various churches. He was busy in in this gospel ministry, preaching the gospel everywhere he went. That earns their trust. But also, these churches had at a previous time chosen this brother for this specific purpose. So this wasn't the first time that this man had been chosen to carry an offering from one place to the next. So this also would allow the Corinthians to feel much more comfortable. If you want to inquire about this guy, you want to know if he's trustworthy, there's plenty of evidence. Go to any church you want, ask them, they know. And hey, listen, he's even done this before. He has experience. And that also would make them feel more comfortable. And not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace. What are we talking about with this grace? Uh, Let me walk it back to this. The grace of giving. The grace of giving. So that's that's how we, we know this is the theme of the chapter. That's why I've chosen that title, The Grace of Giving. This, when we talk about grace, this is God giving you something you didn't deserve. We don't deserve an opportunity to be involved in this ministry. The fact that God has allowed us to be a fellow laborer with him, that he can, he not only provides us with the financial resources, but then gives us an opportunity to use them for his glory in this way. That's grace. That's grace. So he's been chosen of the churches to travel with us, uh, with this grace, which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and declaration of your ready mind. All right, a couple things I want to point out about this. It says, which is administered by us. Now, administered, handed out, distributed. You can think of it like that. So uh, Paul, he is deputizing this group. Uh, You guys are going to go collect this offering and then hand it out. Um, Paul, by the way, this is where he got his start in the ministry. Uh, If you remember, Paul, right right after he got saved, he got busy witnessing to everybody. In Damascus, then he went to Jerusalem, and he just kept witnessing to everybody. And finally, he was, you know, people were nervous about Paul, so they had to separate him from their company. But then when Paul got invited to teach and preach in, in the church at Antioch, right, he taught there for about a year, And then he had an opportunity to carry an offering to Jerusalem. That's before Paul was ever called as a missionary. That was what he was trusted to do. Carry the money from one place to the next. It took about 14 years before he became a missionary. But way before that, about seven years before it, if I remember correctly, he was entrusted with, with this sort of responsibility. It's just that I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind that this is no small deal. This is a big deal. All right? Administered by us to the glory of the same Lord. So the fact that you collected an offering from this group and gave it to an offering for that group, it shows how both groups and the 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 vessels that are delivering the money, uh, this is glorifying to God. This shows how great the Lord is. How so? Because he's made such a difference in our lives that even though I don't know those people in that other city or in that other country, in this case it was a completely different country, I'm still willing to get involved. Man, then there must be something very powerful about the name of Jesus Christ. right? So being involved, getting involved, helping out where you can, it glorifies the Lord in that way. It shows how important 
God and the things of God are. And then it also, it also declares the readiness of your mind, the declaration of your ready mind. So by being involved, it shows how great God is and it shows how ready you are, how excited you are. It says something about God and it says something about you. Just ask yourself this, my involvement right now, what does it say about me? Now, what we've seen in verse 19, Paul is offering evidence. You wanna ask about these guys? No problem, that's fine. Here's why you can trust them. Uh, verse 20, avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this abundance, which is administered by us, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Guys, we know that we're not abusing this money, but we want to be open and honest. We're not hiding anything. We want to avoid confusion or suspicion. So we want to provide for honest things. We want to keep the books open. We'll produce a receipt. We have an alibi and we don't mind telling you where we were at, on this occasion, where the money was, not only in the sight of, of the Lord, but also the sight of men. We, are, we want to make sure that people know that we're not abusing things. My goodness, if you want to see the wrong way to do it, you look at how most of the governments of the world handle these type of transactions, right? We're nervous about giving to even some humanitarian groups because you just don't know how much of that money is actually gonna make it into the hands of the people that need it. How much of it gets shuffled away under the table into some politician's pocket or some greedy um, organizer's pocket. Paul says we wanna do everything open and honest. Um, verse 22, we have sent with them our brother whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. So he says, I'm sending Titus. We got this other brother whose praise is in the gospel. And then we have sent with them our brother. I'm assuming this is another person. And again, we just don't know who this is. He says, guys, we've tested him. He's, he's been proven and he's diligent. There's that word again. In many things many things, but now much more diligent. He, he is, he's, been, he's been energetic, he's been involved, but now he is even more excited about this opportunity. So Paul, he's, he's making sure that these people are comfortable with the group that's coming. They have every re reason to have confidence in the people that will be carrying the money, just as Paul has great confidence in those people. Uh, I'm, I'm coming down. I want to show you a couple other verses in another passage, but let me get verse 23 with it. Whether any do inquire of Titus, now you see the inquiry, where whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you. Or our brethren be inquired of, they are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. So guys, if you've got any questions, here's what you need to know about these people. Now, this was very common back in these biblical times. And even today, this is still common. I believe it should go on. People should say, why do we trust this guy? Fair enough. I think it's good that you are allowed to ask such questions. And Paul's saying, guys, if you trust me, trust them. He's my partner, my fellow helper. If these other guys are inquired of, you can ask any of these other churches. Now, one thing that was common back in these days, let me show you a couple of verses uh, in 2 Corinthians 3, one thing that they would do is they would use a letter of commendation. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 1, do we begin again to commend ourselves? So you can maybe think of this as Paul saying, do I need to give you my CV again? Don't you know my qualifications? Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we, as some others epistles, an epistle is a letter, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you. Paul says, do you need proof that I'm the real deal? And in verse two, of course, he says, if you want proof, you are the proof. Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. So he says, if you want proof that I am an apostle, look at what God did through me amongst you.
Now, you can see here, though, that there's a letter, an epistle of commendation. And this was just so that you don't have people popping up in a church saying, hey, I'm a pastor, I'm an apostle, uh, I'm legitimate. There was a paper trail. And to this day, people still use it. I, I have, tonight, I've, uh, I've brought my paper. Let me move back to this so that you can see it. This is my certificate of license. I don't know if how clearly you can see it, but uh, shortly after I, well, the day I graduated, I got this certificate along with my Bachelor of Divinity degree. It says, this is to certify Michael J. Flick, who has given evidence that God has called him into the gospel ministry, uh, was licensed to preach the gospel as he may have opportunity and to exercise his gifts in the work of the ministry. So a, a license to preach, a certificate of license. Uh, this has been a common thing from the early days of the church. Now, down through history, it's been abused, right? People, just like anything, you, if you want to, you can twist it and turn it into something bad. And people would uh, sometimes in a church state setup, you know, they would say you're not allowed to preach without one of these pieces of paper. I, I, don't, I don't think that's necessarily a biblical thing, right? There's nothing in the Bible that says you have to have a piece of paper in order to preach the gospel. However, if you're going to go to another church, another area, and nobody knows you, they don't know you individually, but they might recognize this other organization, this other church that you're from, by producing this certificate, they would know, okay, well, then, then we know who you're involved with. We're more likely to trust you. Um, we see it again in 1 Corinthians 16, verse number 3, Paul says, uh-oh, it's getting stuck there. In verse number 3, he says, And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. So these are the same Corinthians. Paul was planning to send people to take their offering. I think this is the offering that they failed to give, right? They, they had gathered it, but they never followed through with it. I think this is referring to that initial effort that never actually took place. But uh, we, we touched on that last week. You can see here, though, approved by your letters. So Paul said, I, I will accept uh, people I don't know, but you have officially, you've vetted them. You've proved them, and you know that they're... Um, they are trustworthy for this type of job. All right, and then to finish up back in 2 Corinthians 8, uh, let me mention a, a couple other things in, in verse number 23. Uh, he says here, the messengers of the churches. I just want to talk about that for a quick moment. The messengers of the churches. There were certain men that were entrusted with going from church to church to carry if I can say it, an apostolic message, right? Paul or one of the other apostles would send these men, say, go tell the church this or deliver this letter to them. Or in this case, deliver this offering to them, right? But they were designated. It was their, let's say, calling to go from church to church. So they would travel around and um, they would deliver the message and then come back to Paul or Peter, James, John, whoever it was, and say, this is what that other group said. They were the go-between. Um, Epaphras, it appears that Epaphras was, was one of these guys. Let me show you the verse that would indicate that. Uh, and other men, several other men were. Uh, Colossians 1, 7, As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. So they knew that Epaphras, uh, he would pitch up in the church there in Colossae, and then he would... Uh, report back to Paul. He was one of the go-betweens. And you know that many times at the, especially at the end of Paul's epistles, he would start to mention uh, several names and say, you know, this guy, that guy, they're fellow laborers. Why did Paul do that? Why was he so careful to do that? So that these churches would know who they could trust. So that if one of these guys pitched up and said, hey, we got a message or, you know, we, we need to take up an offering or something like that, then they would be comfortable to trust that person. Uh, so that's why Paul, I believe, would so often mention these names. So don't, even though you and I, we don't know these people personally, they're not going to pitch up in our church. We learn the principle of it, that if somebody else comes to our church, we should do diligence, 
right? Or how can I say this? Do our due diligence, check them out. We don't just let anybody come in and get involved. Um, do you have a history? Are you trustworthy? Have you been busy about the gospel? Have you been telling others, not only carrying the message from one church to the next, Paul, this church is doing well, this church is suffering, but as you go, you're also telling people about the glory of Christ, right? Not, not just uh, a mindless messenger, but you're concerned about glorifying the Lord as you do this. Now, verse 24, he finishes up with this. Wherefore, show ye to them, the, the, these messengers he's sending, and before the churches, uh, these other local churches that Paul's alluded to, the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Paul was known to tell other churches how, um, th th about the great affection that he felt for the Corinthians. He told the Corinthians, I have great confidence in you. And he was not shy, even though that church had issues. Paul still had confidence that they could come right, do right, make a difference for God. And, and Paul would boast and brag about them to other churches. He said, guys, don't let me down. I know you can do this. This is your chance by getting involved, in this case financially, to prove just how serious you are. So I'm going to finish with this thought. You have one life, one opportunity to prove your love to Christ. Now, it should be evident within your local church. It should be evident within your, within your work environment, where you go to school. Right? There should be evidence that you love the Lord. But one day, you're going to stand before Jesus Christ. And your life is going to be examined. Everything you've done in the body, whether it's good or bad, it all comes out. Is there going to be any evidence that you did love the Lord. This is your one chance to prove it because once you get to heaven, there, there are no more opportunities to walk by faith. There are no more opportunities to use your resources to help others. There's no more chances to spend time in prayer. You can't pass out any more gospel tracts. You can't uh, get involved in a church service. There's no more opportunities. That's it. This is your chance. So C.T. Studd, he said it so well. There's only one life which will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. This is your chance to prove your love. So just as Paul exhorted and admonished these Corinthians, show these folks how serious you are. Please, I'm exhorting and admonishing you tonight as well. Take a look at your involvement in your local church. Take a look at your involvement in the gospel ministry. Does it prove that you love the Lord? How involved are you? Can you do more with what you have? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I appreciate you folks being with us. If anybody does have a question, you're welcome to uh, pop it into the comments just now, but I'm gonna pray and close the service. If I see a question though, before we're done, then I'll try to address it. Father, thank you this evening uh, for this reminder that we need to do something with the opportunity we have. Lord, we want to be trustworthy. We want to be open and honest and not have anything to hide. I think the best way to do that is to not do anything we're ashamed of. Lord, we want to be busy about your business. Father, the greatest approval we'll ever have is, of course, your approval. Lord, we also, though, in the sight of men, we want, to have, we want to provide things that are honest and open. We want to be an open book. Lord, help us to live up to that standard. Help us to look at what we have and, and Lord, to see it as you see it. It's not just to take care of ourselves, but an opportunity to help others. Show us how we can get involved. Lord, may we ask you to help us to, to grow in our, in our love for you and our knowledge of you. We talked about it this morning, Lord, the furtherance of our faith. We want to take that next step. Help us to make this progress, to go further in our walk with you. Thank you for this opportunity tonight. And I pray that you would let the seeds of, of the word fall deep in, our, in the ground of our heart. 
and bring forth fruit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful evening further. And Lord willing, we'll see you soon.